1991. Time is 2.09. Good afternoon to you. If you have just tuned in, it is the 123 show. And let me just tell you, just in a few moments, I'm going to be speaking to Andrew Dembina. And he has a fresh slice of local and global food and drinks news. After 2.30, my guest will be Heidi Sparrell, CEO and founder of Food Made Good Hong Kong, to talk about how she's on a mission to support Hong Kong's F&B sector in its sustainability journey. So that's all coming up. But now let me go over to the man himself, Andrew Dembina. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sarge. That was quite a big up there, the man himself. <laughs> yeah, but, the man uh, himself, <laughs> because, you know, you're out there, whether it's arts or, or food and drink, Indeed. you're the man at the top there, okay? <laughs> so what well, have you got for you. us this week? Okay, so looking at things that are uh, from around the world, as usual, but starting in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, I have a uh, something about the fact that um, a report that uh, I didn't really hear about until researching today's programme, that COVID-19... Um, the virus was recently found in samples from packaging of pork and beef imports last week. Mm. So I hadn't come across that um, until uh, until researching today's topics. Have you heard about that? I heard about something to do with a slaughterhouse and that fresh meat was ah. not available, but I didn't know about oh, frozen yeah. stuff. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is stuff oh, from abroad. Gosh. So, um, so uh, unfortunately, as if the return of panic buying that we're hearing about in the news isn't enough in the past uh, mm. few days while you know people go into panic mode being unsure if there's going to be a lockdown or not as the administration has hinted um authorities did officially say last week that they found coronavirus in samples taken from packaging of imports of frozen beef from brazil and frozen pork from poland and they because of this they've vowed to step up inspections of imported food this, it, it actually came when the Centre for Food Safety, CFS for short, took 36 samples for testing from around just over a 1,000 cartons of uh, the frozen meat that I mentioned. Mm. Um, it was a massive uh, cargo load that, that, that came in from both places, and these were just samples of those specific types of meat that were found to contain the virus. Um, they found um, it was actually the, the worst case of the pork was in pork skin, rather than the meat itself, which had come in, because uh, like one of your um, uh, columnists in a, in a regular feature that you do, mm. uh, f- frozen pork skin is sometimes deep-fried and made yes. into snacks yes. and sold by, yes. by local companies. That's right. So, yeah, um, although you'd hope that something at uh, boiling point of oil would have any, any mm. uh, virus, you know, kind of re- removed by that process. Um, so... The CFS has ordered the importers concerned to dispose of the whole cargo that came in in mm-hmm. case there was cross-contamination. So it's going to cost, I don't know what happens to these uh, the poor affected businesses if there are any subsidies for that, but that's a, that's a lot of, um, you know, uh, mm. of um, tons of uh, pork and beef that rightly need to be thrown out in case they're contaminated. It's just another little window into the difficulties, trials and tribulations of, uh, of being a food importer That's and right. just having the bad luck for something like that to happen. Mm. So um, nevertheless, they, um, the, the, uh, the local authorities uh, in charge of food and hygiene have said that uh, um, you know, it's a very rare instance of this and that as long as people observe hygiene rules and cook food thoroughly, generally speaking, they should be okay. And this is actually backed up by a World Health Organization um, claim 
uh, or statement that's been going on for a couple of years now saying that uh, neither food nor packaging uh, have been known by them to have been confirmed as transmission routes of mm. COVID-19. That's so good. don't get too worried, folks, yeah. about that. Um, because there were cases when I was talking to Noreen in the past where we had seen in Hong Kong some imports of poultry and frozen fish, mm-hmm. cuttlefish and, um, and actual sort of uh, pomfret white um, fleshed fish that had been contaminated. It's just a worry. I think it's more of a psychological worry than yeah. anything else. I think so, everyone's so cautious at the moment that anything just suddenly gets them panicked, doesn't it? That's yeah, right. definitely, definitely. Mm. Well, moving on to something else, you know, I thought I would also check out for this week if there were any food and drinks related stories to the Ukraine, which is in the news a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, it, uh, it turns out that there was something which was um, actually in the works. And I've sent to you a picture, Sadia. Yes, it's on my Facebook um, page, yes. <laughs> right, right. Um, do you want to explain what it looked like? Drones? Yeah. It was a, yeah. a whole load of drones, wasn't it? Mm. Like quite kind of red and white ones. So you can see it on my Facebook page, Sadia's Money on our Radio 3 RTHK. If you want to go and have a look at that, that it's yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Now, what that is, Sadia, is a very a sort of a close-up shot of, of uh, a batch of 50 out of 100 drones, which were going to come along in two times 50 consignments to be um to be put into the hands of farmers in the ukraine wow. before the um the difficulties and the well the kind of wartime situation that has developed uh, had happened this was planned a long time ago oh, I see. because yeah because in the in early february there were um very very heavy rains in the ukraine and farmers in the ukraine could not get their normal vehicles out to do what needed to be done, like crop spraying, mm-hmm. which is um, at this time of the year, just as winter thaws out, to, um, uh, to be dusted by crop spray. And drones have been used um, more and more in Ukraine over the last few years and other places, but they had decided just um, earlier this year and got this first consignment in early February to start using them for all kinds of... Uh, uh, of different control of their crops. It's also to to spray weed killer, which doesn't um, which doesn't affect the crops themselves, mm-hmm. and to to refill and spray some kind of pest and disease control. There are lots of highly programmed um, capacities now for <coughs> agricultural drones, which are being used more and more uh, around the world. And also another reason is that uh, for traditional farming tractors and other other types of farming uh, vehicles, the price of oil, I'm not talking about cooking oil here, which we've mentioned uh, in recent <laughs> weeks has shot up to, yeah. but the price of oil, the kind of stuff that is made into fuel mm. for vehicles, um, has also gone up a lot um, over the last few months. So it's a much more economical way mm. of farming. Um, so uh, fingers crossed for many yeah, reasons uh, for the situation that. in the Ukraine, yeah. uh, but uh, both also so really hoping that, the, that those these crops don't get ruined because at yeah. this time of wartime situation around parts of the country, it might also make things difficult to be controlling the crops, which are the livelihood and feed Absolutely. their nation. And also, it's been mentioned in other news reports, I don't know if you've heard, but both Russia and the Ukraine are major world suppliers of grain and back to uh, food seed oil again. They're also big suppliers right. of that. Right. So 
the warring situation there will likely impact world prices yet again Gosh. in these associated food products. So uh, look out for that, folks. That's two relatively bleak segments that mm. I presented you with there um, today. So I'm sorry about that, but oh, you know, these right. things are happening. That's, that's what's um, going on at the moment. So what can we yeah, do? I, yeah, indeed. I do have another. I, I want to finish on something that's uh, a, a, a little less uh, sort of um, devastating. Um, and that is something which is quite frivolous by comparison, maybe. maybe. Um, it's uh, about vegan caviar. Now, yes, I don't know that if you... sounded interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, it's interesting. There's development in using something which I suppose mimics the taste and texture of caviar, which is originally a very highly priced and prized uh, ingredient which once upon a time came from wild-caught sturgeon, female sturgeon mm -hmm, fish of mm -hmm. certain varieties of sturgeon, um, which are tiny black eggs for those listeners that aren't familiar with it so much, which are, um, you know, it was really the sort of thing which would evoke the feeling of a, uh, of a special occasion or a black tie gala event where caviar would be put on a, on a, on a cracker or with blinis. Yes, very tiny and, bits of it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very sparingly yeah. because it's very expensive. But it turns out that as the world, um, as we've said with many other segments uh, or in, in uh, the Tuesday report, that more and more middle and upper middle class people are able to afford luxuries in life, whether it's thinking about where things come from and uh, transparency of sourcing, or whether it's about being able to afford luxury food items like caviar, because so many countries have boomed economically mm. that the sales depleted the natural stocks. I mean, this is happening all over the food chain. So what happened was that um, 10 or more years ago, some uh, European and also Chinese companies as joint ventures, one very well-known one with France, started to make farmed caviar and they uh, across blind tastings as people uh, might be familiar with with wine tasting it was also done with the uh, the farmed caviar tasting mm. because people were really skeptical that it would have the same yeah. robust flavor as the wild stuff but they did manage to perfect it within farms so that's possible however if you are not tempted to Vegan. eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're not tempted to eat it from a, from a live animal itself, kept on a you know sturgeon farm, uh -huh. there are vegan options. And I'm the intrigued USA, by that. I'd like to know yeah. what that's made of. Yeah. Really. Well, yeah. the USA is leading the way in this, uh -huh. and uh, and it really is pushing the boundaries about what can be used. Although I've got to say, from my own line of investigation into food and drink over the last few years, the first time I ever came across this as a possibility. Although it wasn't black, the same colour, mm -hmm. it was a chef in Hong Kong at the landmark Mandarin Oriental. Um, his name is Richard Ekibus, and he made um, salted saline caviar from olive oil. Oh. And so it was, it was gold, and it looked beautiful, and okay. it wasn't meant to be the same colour. But he actually made, in his kitchen, painstakingly, mm -hmm. he made the, um, the same effect of saline flavor the feeling of with gel with with vegetarian gelatin yeah, bursting yeah. in your mouth that kind of sensation of the little bubbles that are part of the That's enjoyment i think of being yeah, i could see the bubbles eating. being transformed because that i mean we have so many bubble teas and this and that that maybe something there yeah, might yeah. do the job that's right exactly 
Exactly, and mm. there are so many g- gelatinous mm, um, right. vegetarian uh, compounds, exactly, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, um, what's been much more popular, though, in recent times in the US is using something that has its origins in Japan, and that is something called tonburi seeds. Mm-hmm. And these are a that they're the seeds from a, a flowering plant in Japan that have been used just as a garnish in the past, and. U.S. chefs have been using these as to treat them, to soak them, and to mix them with other elements because they're not naturally salty. Mm-hmm. So they need to be mixed with powdered seaweed and a lot of other gelatinous ingredients to give them that sort of um, um, gelatinous quality that caviar really does have because it's quite sticky and uh, semi-liquid in a semi-liquid state. Mm. So. I sent you a couple of pictures. Yes, which, yes, uh, that's on my Facebook again. Sardio's Mario yeah. Not Radio 3. Now, it was, you had it in a kind of big platter and it looked quite pretty mm. there. Um, but I, you know, would this kind of stuff, do you know whether it, it would be more affordable, obviously, if it's vegan? Or is it well, still because it takes so much effort to make it? It's still going to cost us a reasonable amount, that, isn't that, it? You're, you're spot on there, actually, Sardia, because it, uh, it might be more sort of... Um, environmentally friendly mm. in, in that it doesn't mm. involve you know animal products uh, but it's it is expensive because not only is it uh, time consuming and labor intensive but also it seems to be only the um, upper mid to top end type of restaurants that have really mm-hmm. started going for this like the one i mentioned in one of hong kong's best hotels it was um, you know it's only certain kitchens that can afford the time the staff time and charge accordingly where it will be accepted by the dining customer mm. so um there, there's one particular um there's a reason that it's been mentioned uh recently in the eater magazine from this restaurant 11 madison park which is at the top of the world's best restaurants list and has been in the top three or five for the past 10 or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in New- yes, it's in New York, and its head chef has been um, experimenting with these Tonbury seeds um, and with using a, ve- a vegan creme fraiche <laughs> and using lettuce wraps instead of the traditional putting caviar on toast okay. or blinis, okay. and which, which to me sounds delicious, actually. I've oh. got to say, I was lucky enough through food writing to try the olive oil ones oh, here right. years ago, which is why, which is why I knew about nice? them. It was really, really nice. It was, it was less pungent than caviar. Uh-huh. It was still saline, but I thought it, it seemed a lot lighter. And just the fact that I knew it was olive oil which um, a very high-quality virgin olive oil. That's good for you, too. Um, it was, yeah, I thought, I thought it would probably do me, do me more good than just a very salty fish roe. Mm. So the developments then um, also include in vegetarian restaurants, which are high-end in L.A. and New York and Chicago. And one of the dishes that I sent you a picture of um, is uses the, the house-made, um, it's a savoury tofu. It looks like the Dafu Far the picture that I sent you, it looks like the sweet bean curd mm, that you can get at Chinese dessert shops. Mm-hmm. It's actually a saline starter dish with the, um, the tonburi and powdered seaweed and another Japanese g- gelatinous um, powder that has been added to it to make something that really emanates it. Mm-hmm. And one of, one of the chefs from the few restaurants that I researched um, says that being able to serve caviar in this way just reminds people that vegetables and seaweed and plant-based food can be just as delicious, even if not more so, 
the yeah. non-vegan food. Absolutely. There's a whole world out there, I think, and it's just about this experimentation. I think, you know, it's just finding the right ingredients, putting them together, but there's loads there. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, it's yeah, very adventurous. Definitely. Mm. So that's, 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 that's all I have for you today. Brilliant. Okay. Well, yeah. that's great. So what are you cooking tonight then, Andrew, just before you go? <laughs> I've got well, to ask you this. Um, I, I, I probably won't be, actually, because I'm out and about and I've still got a couple more appointments uh, so I don't think I'm going to be rushing back to cook and I'm not sure what we're going to be having at home it will fall to Mrs D so no caviar for you tonight then no vegan caviar I've got a feeling that this stuff for uh, for the likes of uh, I say you and I you're probably you know I know you're a very good cook but it's um, but but I think if we've never done this before to try and emulate a gelatinous caviar and to keep on trialing it yourself yeah. with certain ratios of uh, of ground seaweed and gelatinous powder to make it the right texture. I'm sure there are a few I think I'm going to have to go in the, the kitchen and figure it out. You know, who knows? There's a big break here for me somewhere. <laughs> okay. okay so well, great. Get some of those ingredients in, just yeah. in case we're locked down. It yeah, could be absolutely. An experiment. Shh, don't say that, or everyone <laughs> yeah. will rush to the shops. Okay. Oh, true, true. Great. I didn't say it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Talk <laughs> right, to you again you next much. week. See you then. Sure. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.